Maryland defenders. Six points in the quarter. What's up, guys? Welcome to Birdwatch. I am Christian Clark, the Pelicans beat writer for NOLA.com and The Advocate, here today, Wednesday morning, with Jeff Nowak. Hey, y'all. Jeff, it's a little bit cold in New Orleans. Uh, I, I got my hoodie on. Um, I think it's 45 degrees, which in my year and change here is about as bad as it gets. I remember when I drove out from Denver um, in, in October 2019, I was leaving a snowstorm. I was driving out of there in like a fall, I don't know, mini blizzard. And I just remember thinking like, I'm so happy to leave this behind me. I'm never going to be cold again. I think I've adapted to the point where like 50 degrees feels like 20, uh, 45 degrees feels like 15 now. Um, I think this is one step closer to me being uh, a New Orleanian. (laughs) Yeah, being unreasonably upset when it gets cold is a very yeah. That's a that's a good sign that you've lived here long enough to get spoiled by the temperature. Uh, my family still lives up in New England, and every time uh, they call, and I'm just like, oh yeah, it's cold today. It's like it's forty. <laughs> they just laugh, and they. Uh, but it's like you don't understand. My blood is thinner now. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, those people are freezing their asses off in like June. Uh, you know, couldn't be me. It couldn't be me. Right. It's like when I hear about the heat wave in the summer and they tell me it's like, oh, it's been 92 degrees for three days. (laughs) Yeah. Um, we're going to talk about, uh, a place that gets so cold. They shoot winter jackets out of the t-shirt cannons at games, Milwaukee. Um, that is true. I saw that at the Bucks game I attended last winter. Um, I just kind of wanted to start today's show by, talking about the big news of the NBA, Giannis Antetokounmpo re-upping with the Bucks for five years, $228 million. That's going to keep him under contract there for six more years. You know, there are, you know, some related storylines to the Pelicans. You know, they have these picks, they have these swaps that are a couple of years down the future. But kind of my first takeaway from this was, this is just really good for the NBA. I mean, we've, we've seen, you know, this cycle of superstars changing teams so rapidly in in the past five to seven years. And, you know, I think that the Bucks have done a pretty good job of building around Giannis. Obviously, it's not perfect, but this would really be, a you know, another big blow for medium-sized and small market teams if Giannis did not sign it this extension, I think. Um, you know, my, my kind of take on this is that, you know, one is... Giannis is an extremely loyal person. Um, I mean, I think you can get that sense. Just like listen to the Woj pod about Giannis coming over from Greece and just how important family is to him. And I think too, you know, maybe there was a recognition that winning one championship at Milwaukee could be more gratifying than winning, you know, multiple in Miami, Dallas, Golden State, or wherever. I think maybe that was kind of one of the lessons from the Kevin Durant era that you know, even winning a couple of championships, it might not be that satisfying. Yeah. And, uh, do you think maybe they saw the Pelicans play and they were like, Oh man, we got to better do something. The Pelicans look good in the preseason. That's a joke. 
They they probably weren't because the Pelicans were undefeated in the preseason last year and then were just you know probably the second worst team in the bubble and completely fell flat on their faces. <laughs> we better get Zion or Giannis locked up now. No, uh, it, it is good because you know one of the things that really kind of separates the NBA when it comes to free agent deals is the team that's trying to re-sign its players has a inherent advantage in that um, setup. So when a player leaves, it really is like when the fan base or that hometown kind of just does feel like they're getting the middle finger kind of shoved at them. And it's always going to feel that way when a star player leaves a team because you can offer more money. You can offer more years. (laughs) So they're actively saying, I want to play somewhere else so badly that I'm going to leave money on the table every single time. Unless, you know, you're looking at a Kemba Walker situation where the team isn't actually going to put up the max the max dollar amount um but in this case obviously the bucks were and the longer it dragged out the more you kind of feel like wow there is no small market that can keep a player because it just doesn't feel like there is anymore um so yeah i mean for the pelicans specifically it's a good thing because you want the standard to be set or the precedent to be set that you know not every superstar player is going to big time their team after uh that first contract um so you know, it's it's going to hurt the Pelicans <laughs> uh, in the sense that those uh, that 2024 pick swap and that 2025 pick might not be as good as they could have been had he left immediately. But I think when it comes down, when it comes to like three, four years down the road and you're saying like, oh, OK, Zion, we're going to give you a max extension. You uh, you can say, well, we saw it here. Yeah. I mean, I think the best example in recent NBA history of, you know, winning one that's that's really gratifying in a place you've planted some roots and kind of gone through some struggles with that team is Dirk Nowitzki's championship with the Mavericks in 2011. Um, I grew up a, a pretty big Mavericks fan. That's kind of what got me hooked on the NBA, especially like Nelly's, you know, mad scientist ish in the early 2000s. Like that's one of the things that that really made me love the NBA. And you know, I can just tell you from a fan's perspective of how enjoyable that 2011 championship was. Like, I don't, I don't think it could have been any more satisfying. Like, I just know that the satisfaction I felt from watching Dirk and them win in 2011, like whatever, you know, Warriors fans felt watching Kevin Durant win with their team. Like it just, it just couldn't compare. I'm sorry. It couldn't. I mean, there's no, there's no such thing as an easy ring. It's so hard to win. And even when, you know, the second best player in the entire league joins a 73-1 team, like it's still not a given. It's just it's just really hard to win at all. But, you know, I think kind of the, the journey Dirk went through with the Mavericks is, you know, maybe relevant right now. Um, you know, when we're talking about Giannis re-upping Milwaukee, I mean, just kind of going over, I guess, a six-year stretch from 2006 to 2011. 2006, the Mavericks lose in the finals. You know, one of the most like heartbreaking finals losses ever. Uh, we don't need to get into like the refs and, and Dwayne Wade shooting 10,000 free throws. Okay, so this is funny though. I do want to say like, what, if you had posed that question to me and said, what would you say is like your, the the finals you look to as, uh, you know, a hometown guy winning, I would have said Dwayne Wade in the heat. <laughs> uh, and, bec- and you're a Mavericks fan, so you flipped that around. Uh, I just think that's funny. Uh, because I think that that title, whether you want to talk about the you want to talk about the officials, I want to talk about Dwayne Wade getting a ring. One of the more impressive, like with just shat, like it's a kind of a kind of a post 
peak Shaq to run with him. Anyway, I just thought it was funny. Yeah, I mean, Bennett Salvatore was the MVP of that series. It was not Dwayne Wade. <laughs> yeah, Bennett Salvatore. Okay. But, we, you know, we don't have to go into that right now. Um, you know, 2007, the Mavs turn around and win 67 regular season games, number one seed, lose in the first round to Golden State, like just one of the all-time um, kick in the nuts, frankly, uh, from maybe a perspective. By the way, that summer, Dirk is so distraught that he and his mentor, Holger, like this this uh, older German dude who's kind of got a science background, they literally just go to Australia and backpack around and like drink whiskey in the desert and camp out there. Uh, that's how that's how distraught he was over losing, you know, in the first round after they thought they had a pretty good chance. 08, first round loss. 09, second round loss. 10, they're the two seed. They lose to San Antonio a seven in the first round. I mean. You have three first-round losses in four years there, and then in 2011, they win it all. Um, you know, we we kind of, I guess, like really go in on superstars who who do lose early in the playoffs. Like, I think you know, social media is definitely one reason you can point to why you know maybe guys are switching teams at a faster rate. Like it is kind of more about instant gratification. But I'm really happy Giannis did this. And, you know, like I said, I think just winning one in Milwaukee, like, I think there's value in that for him that there is, you know, winning one in in a bunch of other places. Yeah. I mean, well, because like you said, there aren't that many examples anymore. You know, it used to happen all the time where guys would, you know, they, you would build a team and you would win a title. I mean, when, which, I mean, I'm trying to think. When's the last time a guy, the superstar of a team, won a title? I guess it was the Warriors. Uh, I mean, the last two of which came with Durant. But uh, it, it is unusual now to see a, kind of a homegrown team win. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it, I think it is good for the NBA to see a guy trying to do that and committing five years to do that. Um, and, and I mean, it's like you, you can slight Anthony Davis for you know, leaving the Pelicans, but he did give them that second contract at the very least. So you have to give him credit for that. He didn't bail um, early on and like seven years is a good, a good long time to have a chance at a ring and the Pelicans really never pushed for one. So I don't want to, I don't want to hammer too hard indirectly on Anthony Davis um, because a big factor is it's not always on the players. Sometimes the team fails the player. And I think that's what happened with the Pelicans in more, more years than not with Anthony Davis. Yeah, I mean, I think that's entirely fair. And, you know, my sense from the majority of the fan base is that they're not mad that that AD wanted to leave. They're just mad about the way he went about it. Um, You know, I think think generally everybody understands that the Pelicans did not do what they needed to do around Anthony Davis to, you know, really, really maximize his talents. You know, Giannis re-upping in Milwaukee means that a lot of, I guess NBA media and maybe fans are going to have to do one of their least favorite things. Talk about actual basketball because there aren't a lot of oh, superstar targets in 2021. Oh, you know, can this guy go to Miami? Can, can Masai Ujiri lure this guy to Toronto, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think that's a good thing. I mean, the only guys I see on the horizon are James Harden, obviously, um, seems like most of the reporting coming out that Philadelphia remains the most likely destination. 
I guess Brad Beal is is one that you've kind of got to monitor. But you know, LeBron, AD, Paul George, Giannis, they all just re-signed multi-year extensions. Like I'm happy we just don't have to play this game of uh, but what if this guy leaves? Where is he going to go um, so much this season? It is so weird to see John Wall back on, on the basketball court. I In my head, it's been like 17. It's like the Titanic gif where it's like, it's been 83 years since like <laughs> I've seen John Wall play basketball. And uh, it's good to see him back, him and Boogie in the same court at the same time. It's really weird, you know, on the team that James Harden has kind of been AWOL from. Uh so that's that's going to be an interesting situation for for a while, um, but yeah, it, it is nice to not have to hear those obnoxious, you know, will he resign uh, for the entire season? Because as a as someone who was front and center for all all of the Pelicans, just fake news reports and oh, you know, uh, anonymous sources say blah blah blah, and it's really just uh, Rich Paul t- texting people uh that i i'm just glad to not have to deal with that do you think milwaukee has enough juice to actually do it this year yeah we talked about this before i mean i thought they did last year i think if the season ends the way it started last year milwaukee wins a title uh they 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 were just a wrecking ball and it's it wasn't a given that everything translated to the bubble the way it, the way that it would have translated with everything kind of staying the same. But, I mean, people having to travel to Milwaukee is a factor. You know, they they get really worked up there, uh, and it's just the way they played in the bubble was not the way they played all season. Giannis didn't look the same in the bubble, and so I mean, they reloaded with Drew and you know a few other players, but. I think that only made them better. I think if the season goes the full way, I think they push 72 wins and they probably win a title going through the East easily and then maybe getting a push from the Lakers. But, you know, when I watched them in the bubble, I did not see the same team I saw in the regular season. So I expect to see the the Milwaukee Bucks that was kind of tearing through the regular season until March kind of return this year. Um, even though they only get 72 games, so they'd have to go 72-0 and 0 to tie that record. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that Giannis, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, you know, throwing a, a Brooke Lopez next to them, um, some other kind of interesting young players, a little bit of shooting. Like, I think that is enough to do it. I mean, the, the chance of winning it all, um, you know, I, I wouldn't put like above 50%, certainly. I mean, I don't know, maybe 20 25%, like that's just my uh, half-baked take on it. I think the better question is, can they get out of the East? Because like the finals are always going to be a crapshoot. Yeah, Miami's just a really tough matchup for them. Like that was kind yeah. of the thing. I mean, like they can throw Bam out of bio on Giannis. I mean, I think Miami was uniquely suited to beat that team. Um, and, you know, what they could have used against them was another guy who can create his own shot. And you know, Drew Holiday can do that to a degree. I think if you had added Drew Holiday and Bogdanovich, then like that's a lot of, of creation outside of Giannis, and I would have liked that team a lot more. Um, but this is the team they have, and it's going to be really interesting to see. Um, as far as the pick situation goes, I mean, look, the Pelicans uh, have the right to swap first with Milwaukee in 2024 and 2026. They have their unprotected first in 2025 and 2027. I mean, this this probably hurts, uh, 
you know, New Orleans a little bit. I mean, as many people pointed out to me on Twitter, like this stuff changes so quickly. And just because Giannis is under contract for six more years, um, you know, it doesn't mean he's going to stay there the full, the full number of years on that contract. Um, I think, you know, just trying to make predictions about this far out in the future is probably just foolish. Um, I agree with that. So, I'm not going to try to make any predictions about that. The only thing I'll say is that 2027 unprotected first, even if Giannis stays there all six years, there's still one more season until that pick conveys. Um, it's just a really, really long time, and a lot of things can happen. I mean, seven years ago, we we all probably thought Kevin Durant was staying with the Thunder for the entire length of his career. He's not only you know on a different team, he's on a different, different team now. So. <laughs> Yeah, the, the funny thing is, it's it just kind of like this was the first kind of hurdle that could have tripped up the Bucks in route to those picks being good, right? This is kind of the first thing that they had to figure out that could have broken in the Pelicans' favor had he said, you know, I'm going to test free agency, whatever. But it's so far from those picks conveying that theoretically, if he did, if he did leave after, he, he say he doesn't send that contract and he leaves. By the time that first pick swap shows up, they could have already tanked and been better. <laughs> they would have actually, I mean, who knows what picks they have or uh, what they're going to end up doing the next three years. But like that's so far away that they could have theoretically gone through a tank and kind of come out of it before that first pick conveyed. So it was always kind of just a uh, let's see what happens kind of thing. But yeah, I mean, so much can happen. I mean, you're not just talking about Giannis. You're talking about the team around him. You're talking about what happens with Drew Holiday. Um, do they extend him? Does he end up going somewhere else? And, I mean, look what happened with, with Cleveland and LeBron, and they just kind of allowed the roster to crumble around him. And they still didn't, you know, compete for a title those years. So who knows? But yeah, it's, it's so far off. Yeah, I mean, will we have colonized Mars by 2027? That's what I want to know. <laughs> That's that's how far away that seems to me. Uh, but anyway, um, preseason game number one is in the books. Um, wanted to get to a few takeaways. I want to start with the caveat that we should not put very much stock in the preseason. And, you know, last year was yet another reminder of, you know, trying to predict how your team is going to do based on the preseason is just foolish. I mean, the Pelicans were world beaters in the preseason last year. I believe, you know, like the regular preseason games and then the bubble preseason games, they were undefeated. So, <laughs> yep. Uh, and we know how the bubble turned out. We know how the bubble turned out. The Pelicans basically stepped on the end of a rake and then, you know, the top of the rake hit them in the <laughs> face. That was how the bubble turned out. There's a really funny video on Twitter uh, from a few years ago that I comped the Pelicans preseason to last year, which is like... Uh, Matt Millen was the GM of the Lions, uh, and they went 4-0 and in the preseason. And they were like, preseason champs! And then they went 0-16. <laughs> it became the first ever NFL team to go 0-16. Uh, and that's... Uh, <laughs> it can always go wrong. Um, but yeah, that's... Uh, preseason champs! So the Pelicans didn't do a, f a full Matt Millen Lions last year, but they I mean, got like 80% of the way there. They had a 13-game losing streak, so, I mean, in the sense that they lost 13 consecutive games, it's pretty close. <laughs> yeah. I think in an NBA context, compared to a 16-game season, uh, yeah. They, it was like they went, you know, 2-14. and 14. How about that? <laughs> yeah. So we are, we are starting this with the caveat that we are not placing, you know, 
too much stock in the preseason. Miami was missing Jimmy Butler. They were missing Goran Dragic. They had absolutely zero, like nothing to play for. They have nothing to prove right now. Like Miami's success or failure this season won't even really be determined until they get to the playoffs. So now that we've got that out of the way, um, you know, I did think that Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson both looked pretty good. Um, you know, obviously the offense is flowing through those two guys, you know, more so than anybody else this season. You know, there's there's no Drew Holiday to to kind of create. Like, it's all on those two dudes, and they're both in their early 20s. Um, you know, B.I. hit a few pull-up threes. That was cool to see. Like, the jumper looked right. He had the sweet dunk before the end of the first half. He also defended. Um, you know, he got three steals and a block. I think that his length, like he really utilized that in ways that I haven't seen him do too often in a Pelicans uniform. I, I thought one of the most encouraging sequences from BI in that game was there was a play in the second quarter where it was a DHO with Kendrick Nunn and Myers Leonard. Um, you know, BI like fought to get over the screen. He kind of stayed on Kendrick Nunn's hip as he attacked the basket. And then he was able to block the shot out of bounds. Like that was a perfect example of like you can't teach length and how beneficial length can be when it comes to defense. But what did you just think about uh, his night in a mostly meaningless game? <laughs> Whose night? Brandon Ingram. Specifically Brandon Ingram. Yeah, I mean, the thing you need to see from him is consistency. Like that's going to be the, in his second season, you don't want to see these crazy ups and downs. You don't want to see him disappear in games. You want to see him be that consistent go-to scorer uh, for a team that needs a go-to scorer uh, outside of the paint. Seven for 13 from the field. His his three-point shot looked good. He was perfect from the free throw line. I mean, that's what you need from him. He had three steals. Like I think you look at this team and I think they're going to kind of ebb and flow with the perimeter shooting from guys like Josh Hart, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, you know, the guys who you didn't get consistent shooting from last year that you need to this year, the way the roster is constructed. You know, if if Josh Hart is the starting two guard, he's going to have a very important role in, you know, helping you avoid these, these extended lulls in scoring that they were susceptible to last year. And he was a big part of it because... While he shot well at times, he shot very poorly at times. Or in these really long stretches where he just couldn't find anything but the back iron. And uh, so he's going to be important. In going through the game, I didn't watch it live, but I kind of went through the tape afterward. And in going through the game, one of the things that I thought was uh, you could look at with some optimism. And I, I thought Zion and Steven Adams had a pretty good flow considering the just kind of crammed nature of the offense. They had a few sets where, you know, Steven Adams did like a dribble handoff and got the ball to Zion at the nail and he made a dribble move and got to the hoop. Uh, in the second half, Steven Adams lobbed it into Zion for, for a layup. So that those to me, that <laughs> when you kind of talk about that big ball lineup that you kind of need to work to have some success this season, I thought that was actually uh, interesting and kind of an optimistic thing to see. Yeah, I mean, the, the Pelicans beat the crap out of the Heat on the boards. And, you know, if they're going to be a team that makes the play-in tournament, going to be a team that makes the playoffs, I think that's what they're going to have to do on a lot of nights. I mean, we just know that they're trying to take on this big, bruising physical identity. Um, you know, like, 
I would be shocked if the Pelicans weren't a top five offensive rebounding team in the entire league this year. I mean, Zion already last season, you know, out of shape Zion was the best player in the entire league at at rebounding his own missed shot. Like his second jump is just pretty freaky. Um, Steven Adams has been an elite offensive rebounder throughout his entire career. Um, I thought one of the things Stan Van Gundy said after the game was kind of interesting. Um, Zion did a nice job on the defensive glass in this game. He had eight defensive rebounds. And Stan was pretty frank that, you know, that that really hasn't been a strength for Zion, um, you know, kind of in the first week of training camp. It was not a strength of his last year. Um, that's probably been under-discussed a little bit that, you know, we might think of Zion in the NBA as this elite rebounder, which he is on the offensive end, but he was pretty poor in the defensive glass last year. And I think they're going to need a little bit more from him in that department. Um, I mean, overall, yeah, I I thought it was a pretty encouraging outing from him. Um, You know, we, like we as in the media, I mean, we, we can't watch the Pelicans play live during training camp. I mean, we're just kind of, you know, going off like the smattering of clips that the team distributes. Um, to be perfectly honest, I thought Zion still looked a little bit heavy to me. Um, I maybe thought he would look a little bit thinner to me. And I'm just one guy, you know, going off what I see in the TV screen. The body type still does look pretty different than what he looked like at Duke. Um, I'm curious to see, you know, how he competes in the defensive end this year because we know he was an absolute monster in that end at Duke, and he really struggled in that department last season. But it was a really good outing for him. I mean, 8 for 13, he could have been even more efficient. He's he's one of the only guys in the league where, like, he goes 8 for 13. You're like, well, that easily could have been, like, 9 or 10 for 13. Yeah, and he played 33 minutes. I don't know if you mentioned that, but, I mean, that's that's got to be... I don't know if he played more than 33 minutes in any game last season. He might have played maybe one, maybe... Uh... So I covered this in my postgame column. Uh, he was overjoyed that he played 33 minutes, and he played... Uh, more than he did in Monday's preseason game, only twice last season. It was yeah. a game against Dallas, no T, and against the Lakers. Yeah, and that was a back-to-back set too that he played, <laughs> that he played that uh, that Dallas game, that overtime game. I remember that because it was like one of the last games before they went into the, the the before the NBA went on pause. But I mean, that's that's a that's a good thing, you know. You don't play Zion 33 minutes in a preseason game unless you are very confident that he is a in the shape that he needs to be in or is close to it, and b. You know, you don't have any injury concerns in terms of that knee, you know, in terms of any other issues with his musculature, uh, kinetic chain, whatever, whatever Jay Griffin says. But, um, you know, to me, that that's when you look at a preseason game and you look at what the what he did not get in the bubble. And then he came back and you saw how how different he looked compared to what he looked like before the pause. You know, I think these games are as important for him in terms of getting into shape as they are for anybody. Um, so, you know, to me, you, you can look at all you want. You can look at the shooting, which I thought was impressive. You can look at kind of the energy, which I thought was impressive. But I think that's the biggest thing. Um, and then when you look at the other side, it's just kind of funny because the Pelicans, it feels like it's been uh, a while since they played. It does not feel like that way for the Heat. It feels like the, the Heat were just playing <laughs> basketball games maybe like a month ago, and now they're back again. But they have Precious Achua, my uh, my favorite player, uh, as we've talked about in the past. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't. I'm not a huge fan of his game. <laughs> well, that is one of the weirdest parts about this whole NBA restart is that 
you know, there are a handful of teams who've been off for like 70 days. And then there are eight teams who haven't played in a game since March. It's, it's just so, so weird. I mean, the Pelicans are kind of in between those two things. Um, and yeah, we, we probably did bury the lead. I mean, the minutes thing was really significant. Um, I'm kind of paraphrasing Stan Van Gundy, but after the game, he said, basically, I think the best way for basketball players to get in shape is for them to play basketball. Jeff, what a revolutionary concept. They call it playing shape for a reason. You play your way into it. Um, and and it's some, it really is true. Like Even for a normal person, you know, not a professional basketball player, I don't care how... I've been in very good shape in the past. I've, I was in shape to run a marathon at one point, and I did run a marathon. And I still remember like going to play a game of basketball, being in incredible running shape, and still struggling because it is such a different thing. It's not You can't just be in shape and then say, I'm going to play basketball today. You have to be in basketball shape. And that's only, it's something you really can't get without playing basketball. And you know, I, I feel like we've said it 20,000 different ways, but it's so true. That it's you can't replicate it. You can't replicate live live five on five basketball with drills, with uh, you know, with with workouts in the training center with you know with no one else. Like it's something you have to play. You have to play the game, and then you can find a way to get into the shape you need to be in. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know I don't fault the Pelicans for being cautious with with Zion last year. Um, you know, it was just such a unique situation where. You know, he missed the first three months and he is this unique player and has this unique body type. And I, I felt, you know, I kind of felt for them a little bit because as soon as he kind of, you know, really started to hit his stride a little bit, this season got interrupted by the pandemic. Like those two games where he was above 33 minutes were right before, you know, the season kind of stopped. And then, you know, he was just in way different shape when the season restarted. But I'm glad we're here. I hope we never have to hear the word burst again. Like after we get done with this episode, I'm going to take the thing that the men in black used and use that on my head to delete the word burst from my brain. Um, that was just not very so, fun for a, anyone. It's a neuralizer. The neuralizer. Yeah, I'm getting the neuralizer out after this episode and using it on myself. That was just not very fun. And you know who I you know who liked burst the least out of anybody in New Orleans? Zion. Zion. Yeah. I mean, anytime he's asked about playing with no restrictions, you know, during training camp, after the first preseason game, like he has this huge smile across his face. He did not like doing it. Like that was not fun for him. I mean, I think it was clear that was a source of frustration for him. Yeah, I think he handled it about as well as you could hope for last year. But you you have to imagine for, you know, a kid coming in as a rookie to have to deal with what he dealt with last year was not easy. Uh, and, and to go out there and talk to the media and be like, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm happy I'm only playing 18 minutes. Whatever it takes for the team to win as the team is losing 13 in a row. Anyway, uh, it's uh, you, you have to give him credit for that. And, you know, you hope that this season he's able to come back and kind of put together. You know, I still expect them to be, you know, not cautious with him, but, you know, judicious with how they throw out um some of the uh, sets that he gets this year will be a little easier because they're not going to play back-to-backs the way they would in a normal season. So maybe they don't have to be. Um, but, you know, on a long road trip, you could I think you could see them kind of throttle him back in, in some matchups. But uh, just because and – I, and I look at the guy like Joel Embiid as the, as the standard for, you know, how you make sure you don't overwork a big hulking 
uh, young player like that who has an injury history. But you, you hope that's not the case, and you hope that he can avoid any any further issues. I think another thing to like about uh, Zion's preseason debut, he went 10 of 11 at the free throw line. Um, you know, last year, I don't have it up in front of me, but I think he was at like 66, 67, you know, basically making two out of every three. It sounds like he's been working with Fred Vinson um, in the offseason to kind of improve his stroke. Um, Fred Vinson has helped a lot of different guys throughout their career. Um, he was big for Tyreek Evans back in the day. Obviously, last season, he helped Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball with their three-point strokes. Um, you know, I think that's interesting to monitor. I mean, Zion, we know he's going to get to the free-throw line. Like, he he might be a double-digit free-throw guy in more than half the games this year. I mean, when he is kind of has that head of steam and he's headed downhill, like, there are two options. I mean, let him lay it up uh, or foul him. I mean, that's pretty much it. Yeah, and it's and it's and it's a very very beneficial thing to have, you know, for a team that doesn't have the elite kind of go-to score as we said before in terms of a guy who you don't anticipate to to have off games. He's not like a Stephen Curry or uh LeBron or I'm talking about Brandon Ingram here. So just having a guy who you can you know can get to the free throw line when he needs to and will make them is uh, it's going to keep you in a lot of games, um, especially in games where you don't come out hot on offense. Yeah, uh, Pelicans were 26 of 31 at the line as a team. Um, you know, I have to imagine that ranks like up there with any of their performances from the line last season. They were a pretty terrible free throw shooting team last year. Um, they also only had 11 turnovers. Uh, they had five in the first quarter, and it kind of looked like, oh man, this is going to be really sloppy. Like typical Pelicans, like 20 turnover night. Um, and then the final three quarters, they only had six the rest of the way. Um, I thought this was kind of interesting. Um, last season, they had 11 or fewer turnovers in only nine of the 72 games. Like for them to take care of the ball that well was a pretty rare occurrence. And look, that's been one of the biggest points of emphasis from Stan Van Gundy during training camp. Take care of the ball. I mean, I think he wants them to still be able to attack, you know, in transition. Like, I don't think he wants to completely take that away because he thinks it's a strength, but I think it's clear that he's going to demand that, you know, they do take better care of the ball than they did last season. I mean, they were second to last in turnover rate last season. It couldn't be a whole lot worse. Yeah. And I imagine if you look at those games where they were held where they were 11 or fewer turnovers, they probably won most of those games. Uh, I think that 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 will be a direct directly related to their wins and losses in games where they turned it over 26 times versus they turned it over 11. Uh, speaking of 11, the Heat only shot 11 free throws in the entire game. So you compare that to 31 for the Pelicans. And I think the ability to get to the free throw line again uh, when you have, when you get to the free throw line twenty more times than your opponent in a game, you should win. <laughs> Especially if you're making eighty percent of them, that's a free eighteen points. That's a big thing. And you also have a situation where the Pelicans held the Heat. You know, the preseason Heat, obviously, but they held them to ninety-two points. That's they held the Heat to thirty-nine points in the second half with the fighting Precious Achuas and KZ Alcpalos. Uh, so, you know, I, I for a team that struggles that has struggled historically on the. On the defensive side, I think, you know, that they can make their name 
by really clamping down when they need to on defense. And even if they struggle to score at times, I think that's a team that wins basketball games more consistently. Um, One thing from the box score, Casey Akpala, minus 26 in 20 minutes. (laughs) That's that's not what you want. That's not what you want. Um, I think, you know, one of the things you can say about almost all Stan Van Gundy coach teams is they just don't beat themselves. I mean, they're not going to foul their opponent a lot and let them get to the free throw line. They're going to take pretty good care of the ball generally. They're not going to gamble on defense. Like, they're going to make you earn your baskets. And that's what we saw uh, very early on. And, you know, if the Pelicans just do those things, like, they're very basic basketball things, but if they could do them well, like, I I think, you know, they're significantly improved last season. I mean, that was kind of the frustrating thing about them last year is they're constantly shooting themselves in the foot. Like they're shooting themselves in the foot. It felt like, you know, like every other game. Yeah. Even when they didn't have a, even when they didn't have bullets, they were still shooting themselves in the foot somehow. It was, it was kind of amazing, but you know, and and this is one thing that struck me uh, as I kind of went through the tape on the game is that like, there are a lot of new pieces on this year's team, but it still feels like, this team compared to last year is just light years ahead in terms of continuity. Uh, even with a new coach, even with Steven Adams, even without Drew Holiday, uh, the, the pieces they have back playing together compared to what you saw last year where it was basically Drew Holiday with an entirely new roster. Um, it, it does feel like there's, there's a chance to kind of build on that uh, kind of Pelicans core group more this year whereas last year you just had no idea what to expect uh and that in that in that stretched out until <laughs> mid-season because you didn't get zion until mid-season this year it just feels like there's a much better understanding of the roles within the offense um and even a guy like josh hart in the starting lineup in place of drew holiday you understand what he needs to do um because you've seen like i think he and drew holiday are kind of similar players he's not as i don't think he's up in drew holiday's uh, stratosphere in terms of as a defender, but they're just both three and D kind of undersized uh, twos that can get downhill. Um, so I think I think watching this team this year is gonna should be, and I hope it is, a lot more um, satisfying than it was last year. Yeah, I mean, I, I think to your point, you know, there are more clearly defined roles going into the season than there were last year, and that's not a, a criticism of Alvin Gentry. Like there were just so many new pieces that there was just kind of like this this jostling for you know who gets what kind of shots in the offense like they just had to figure it out on the fly I mean nobody predicted going into last year that Brandon Ingram would be the go-to guy in the offensive end I mean I think every almost everyone you asked would have thought that Drew Holiday would have been that guy but turned out to be Brandon Ingram I mean this year it's it's Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson those are your two there were legit like conversations, like I can go back and find them, where people were debating whether Brandon Ingram should start. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, because it was like, that. well, JJ Redick signed here, who's going to be the starting two, Ooh. and it was like, well, you you want the shooting, so you're going to put Brandon Ingram on the bench, <laughs> and it's just like people actually thought that, <laughs> and uh, and I understand why because the shooting was a question with Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram wasn't a good shooter back then, but like those are the types of things that you were actually talking about last year. Like it was that unclear what was going to happen, uh, and this year it's not a question. So I, I think, yeah, in terms of. I 
I think Stan Van Gundy is very happy that he's taking over this year compared to last year. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah. Brandon Ingram seems really comfortable to me. Like, I'm just seeing him smile a lot. He he just looks comfortable uh, with his role in the team. You know, I think he's embracing kind of being, you know, the guy and a face of the franchise a little bit. So we'll see how that continues to develop. Um, in preseason game number one, J.J. Redick and Eric Bledsoe were held out. They did not make the trip to Florida with the team. Uh, we asked Sam Gundy about this before the game. He said that neither tested positive for COVID, but both were basically held out because of kind of the NBA's ultra-cautious COVID protocol. Um, J.J. Redick was in contact with the Pelican staffer who tested positive. It turned out to be a false positive, so you know nobody had it or anything, uh, but J.J. still did not make the trip to an abundance of caution. Uh, Eric Bledsoe had to go deal with a personal matter outside of market. Hey, and when you come back in, you just have to, you know, test negative X number of times in a row. He tested negative, but not enough. Um, I just, I just kind of thought this was an early example of, you know, even if you, you your players don't test positive for COVID, they can still be held out. Like this virus can affect you even when your players don't have the virus. Yeah, and uh, so you know, I've obviously been doing a lot of uh, Saints coverage this year, and you, and it's going to be even more difficult for the NBA, in my opinion, compared to the NFL, for the obvious reason that you play more games, you play more often, you travel more often, and so you're going to have you know issues where, it, you know, if if you have a false positive in the NFL on a Tuesday and you kind of get that information back, you can find out before a game, and it won't affect the game. That's not going to be the case when you play on a Monday and you have that false positive on a Sunday and you're just like, yeah, you're out. And you're going to have a lot of situations this NBA season, especially in the first half, you know, that there's some, there are vaccine uh, shipments getting deployed out and who knows how long that's going to take or when that's going to get to a point where, you know, we're more comfortable with the situation around a lot of things. But, you know, especially for the first half of the season, you're going to have a very, very tightly regulated COVID protocol across the NBA. And you could end up seeing situations like the the Saints saw when they went and played the Broncos without any of their quarterbacks. <laughs> you could end up with a team playing without fi all five starters, right? Or three of their five starters. And they're going to have to play the game because the NBA isn't going to postpone games unless there's a safety issue, the same way the NFL won't. Um, so I think that that's going to be, you know, the Pel like Drew Bledsoe, <laughs> that was an accident <laughs> that time. Uh, he's going to hate me if, 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 he, if I end up calling him Drew Bledsoe. Uh, Eric Bledsoe and J.J. Redick missing is like, you know, probably the, the mid-range of like what could potentially happen and be, and be like, wow, we're without these guys right, like, like right now, uh, but like there, there are games where, you know, if you go into a game with Zion, Ingram, <laughs> Steven Adams all out because they, you know, gave them each other a high five and then one tested positive, that's going to be a big impact, especially if you're going into a, like a, a game against, uh, you know, a team you're trying to win a tiebreaker on. And then this, this very important game is kind of like, Oh, we didn't have any of our starters, but I'm, I'm rambling. But it's going to be a thing. It's going to be something that's very frustrating. I haven't watched UConn basketball in two weeks. They've had to postpone their entire their entire organization for two weeks because because of a positive test. It's like that stuff that happens is going to happen. So be ready. Yeah, I mean, you know, 
the nature of the NBA schedule, like playing a game every 2.5 days or whatever it averages out to, does make this really challenging. Um, I thought JJ also brought up an interesting point early in training camp, Um, you know, managing from this this season from a COVID perspective is obviously going to be challenging. And, you know, I think he compared it to the lockout season in that you're playing uh, a lot of games in a shorter amount of time than you would during a normal season. So, you know, he said that things like rest, recovery, eating right, you know, getting your eight or nine hours of sleep are going to be more important this season than they would in normal season two, just because you're playing so frequently. I mean, you're trying to cram 72 games um, in from basically Christmas until uh, May or, or whatever it is. So that'll be interesting to watch too, um, you know, fighting COVID and then also like just avoiding injury. But this is going to be an interesting year, man. Stan Gundy, his his mantra is uh, anytime, any place, under any conditions. Uh, he is not here for the BS or the excuses. And, uh, I appreciate it. Cause this is, uh, this is not going to be easy. Nope. But we do get an, we do get an early holiday gift this week. Do you know what it is? Is it uh is it drew holiday? It is. It is oh. the holiday. He's coming back on Friday. And, and I'm like, I don't know. I don't get excited for preseason games. I don't think I have it within my body to get like physically excited for a preseason game, but I'm kind of excited for that preseason game. I think it's going to be worth tuning in for, you know, just to see, you know, just not, you don't even have to watch the game. Just go and watch the pregame. And, uh, I just say good for you, Drew. Like <laughs> I'm happy for him. I, I genuinely am happy for Drew Holiday, uh, because that is, he's got as good of a title shot as anybody and no one has worked harder for it than he has. So uh, I, I I am going to be genuinely happy to see him in that Bucks uniform uh, on Friday. Hopefully he plays <laughs> because as we just said, you never know. Yeah. No fans in the arena for the preseason game. Uh, when the Bucks come back to town for the regular season, should be a handful of fans. The Pelicans, they probably wait on that tribute video, right? They wait for the regular season game. They don't whip that bad boy out for the preseason. I think you give them like, like tribute light. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just give him like maybe the still image, you know, maybe right. like a maybe video. like a short highlight package. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't think you're getting the uh, the true thank you Drew video. But yeah, I think that's fair. Tribute light. Um, well, cool. We appreciate you guys listening uh, today. We'll be back next week. Um, you know, here we go. It's it's gonna be really interesting. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Um, leave a five star review and subscribe peace